Good evening. A warm welcome to the service this evening, those who are in the building and those still who are tuning in online. Again, it's good for us to come together and to worship God. And I will lead us in prayer and gather, please. Let us pray in Grace <laughs> Ich 
Amen. Amen. If you could turn now in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. And if I could say also uh, one or two visiting with us tonight, and it's good to uh, have you with us uh, this evening as we come together uh, to worship God. Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read from uh, verse 5. Jesus says to his disciples, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Uh, maybe we could also uh, read one more section from Matthew chapter 18. The verse we've come to tonight is uh, uh, the verse where, where Jesus teaches us in verse 12 to, to say, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then uh, that's, uh, that's emphasized further in verse uh, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that um, probably our minds even uh, would have connected already with the, the illustration of that that Jesus uses in Matthew uh, chapter 18. Uh, so we'll read from verse 21 uh, to verse uh, 35, the parable of the unmerciful servant. 
Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. But the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when the servant, that servant, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word uh, to us. Just as we turn back to the passage that we read from Matthew 6, uh, we'll pray for a moment and ask again for the Lord's help. Our heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for Jesus, your son, our saviour. We thank you for the the words that we have been saying there, uh, which remind us of the fact uh, that we we are saved through Jesus and all that he has done for us. We uh, thank you that if we know our names are graven on his hands, if we know he has taken our sin to the cross, uh, we have the assurance that we are forgiven, uh, we are saved. Uh, it's easy for us to sing these words. Uh, my life is hid with Christ on high with Christ my Saviour and my God. But we pray that you would press these words into our hearts, into our souls. Uh, give us that sense of awe that we are able to come to you, the God of heaven and earth, and call you our Father. Uh, give us that sense of wonder that we are able to, to say that Jesus is my Saviour. Uh, he is my Lord. He is the one uh, who is my friend. We, we think of the hymn that we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. We thank you that uh, all the griefs and all the sin that weighs us down, we don't have to hang on to, uh, what we are able to bring in prayer to Jesus, knowing that what we cannot carry, what we are not designed to carry, uh, he is able to take from us. And we thank you, Lord, for the wonder that the moment that we believe, the moment that we, that we receive that faith that, that enables us to take hold of the grace of Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, comes to live in our hearts. Uh, what a, a wonder to know that the, the God who, who made all things uh, lives within us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit uh, when we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and are saved. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us greater insights into the, the wonder of your salvation. Uh, enable us to be more uh, in awe of uh, what you have done and are doing and a promise that you will do for us in Christ. 
And we pray for anyone tonight here who, who doesn't yet know Jesus and who isn't able to say from their heart that Jesus is my Saviour and my Lord. And whether they're in the building here or whether they're watching at a distance, we pray that you would be working in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to draw those who are outside of Christ into Christ. Uh, those who are lost, we pray that uh, they would be found. We pray for conversions, Lord. We pray for those who are sick. We pray for those who are grieving. We pray for those who are struggling in different ways, as we must and as we love to. But Lord, we pray for those uh, who are not sick, but who are healthy in their bodies. We pray for those who are not uh, struggling in terms of this world, but uh, uh, who are doing well for themselves in the worldly sense, and yet who have no sense of their desperate need of Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that you would open their eyes as you opened the eyes of all who do believe. We pray, Lord, that you would be awakening souls. We pray that you would be convicting uh, more and more of us of the, the reality of our sin and that you would be enabling more and more of us in this community to see uh, the wonder of Jesus and the fullness, the sufficiency of the salvation that he has worked out for us. And now, Lord, we pray that as we turn back to your word, uh, that uh, you would teach us from it, uh, teach us to pray, and uh, enable us to, to hear the words of Jesus and to, and to act upon these words. Uh, enable us to be those who have a closer walk with you, who have greater intimacy in the gift of prayer that you have called us to and uh, have given us the responsibility to be attentive in. So bless us, Lord, we pray. We pray for any who uh, are visiting with us tonight. We ask for your blessing upon them and any congregation that they may be uh, connected with. We pray for those who are at a distance from us, those that we can't see um, online, but to whom you see. And every uh, soul, every family, every church that is connected, Lord, we pray your blessing uh, to be upon them as we pray your blessing to be upon us. So lead us and guide us by your spirit, we pray. Help us, uh, Lord, to help me to speak, help us to listen, help us, Lord, to respond in faith uh, to your voice as we listen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles open um, at uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, that would be helpful. This is a passage that I've read over and over again um, over these past few weeks. It's a, a passage, I think, that's probably uh, quite familiar to many of us anyway. Um, as the, the Lord's Prayer. Most of us can probably recite it, although uh, perhaps not all of us. Um, but sometimes when you're reading over a familiar passage, uh, there can be one or two words just in a fresh reading that just jump out, and uh, they have an impact just in that moment. And over the course of this last week as I was reading this passage, there was one word that, that caught my eye a few times in the reading, and it's, it's, the, it's the word manner. Uh, we don't find it in the NIV don't think we find it in the ESV either, but I was reading it in the King James Version. And uh, Jesus, uh, he says in verse 9, After this manner, therefore, I pray. Now we have a few boys and girls with us uh, this evening. A few missing tonight, actually. Um, but from when we are very young, uh, we're taught about the importance of our manner, or our manners. You ever heard that? Put your hand up if you've... If uh, your, your mum, your dad, or your auntie, or your uncle, or somebody has ever said to you, Hey, watch your manners. Ah, uh -huh. Farrakhar in the front row is making an admission there. Uh, we, we know, we can think back to, to from, where, from when we were very young, uh, and we're, we're told, 
I can think of the table most commonly. What's your manners? Don't talk when your mouth is full. No singing at the table. No whistling at the table. That was part of manners in our house. Uh, don't start eating until everyone else has been served. Uh, don't leave the table until you've been excused. Watch your manners, David. And Jesus here, he, he teaches us about our manner as we pray. You know, there are manners to watch when we pray. Now, th- there are occasions uh, where our prayer is just a desperate cry. There are occasions where we can't even find words to pray, never mind a structure. Uh, it's, a, it's an arrow prayer. It's a prayer when we're in the, the most desperate circumstances and we just cry out and God the Holy Spirit. He takes our cries, our sighs, our groans, our wails. They're brought as prayers. That's a different kind of praying. But in terms of a model here for prayer, when we're in the quiet place, we take time to, to be with God. Uh, uh, Jesus teaches us about uh, manners in prayer. Uh, the manner by which we approach God in prayer. Uh, we come to our Father. So there is an intimacy, not a coldness and a formality. And yet, Jesus says we come to our Father in heaven. So there's to be reverence, and not uh, a casual flippancy in prayer. And then the, the, there's, there's manners to watch in terms of uh, what we ask for, the, 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 the structure, the, the, the priorities uh, that we have in prayer. Uh, when we pray and when we ask for things, uh, we're, to, we're to think first about God, about his name, uh, verse 9, and his kingdom, verse 10, and his will, verse 10. And then we're able to, to ask for the things that we know that we need personally, daily bread. And tonight we come to, to verse 12 where, where Jesus, us, Jesus uh, teaches us to, to ask for, for forgiveness. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So if we're going to take a text for this evening, uh, that's the text. It's verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But I think we should start by noting uh, that there's a connection between verse 12 and verse 11. So the first point uh, for this evening is uh, there's a connection. There's a connection that we note. Now, if we think about a painting, you know, when you look at a painting, uh, the the shapes and the colours aren't just sort of randomly smeared against the the canvas. Um, An artist gives thought uh, to the contrast and to the shading and to the outlines, to the, to the structure of the print or the painting. Everything in the painting is carefully positioned. Everything's connected. You know, and even if you play Lego uh, with the children, I was thinking about a, a time when uh, I played Lego actually with one of the, the young boys in our congregation, and I was trying to help with the structure that he was making. But everywhere I put a piece of Lego, it was the wrong place. No, no, it doesn't go there, it goes here. You know, in his mind... Everything had to be carefully positioned. And with God's word, it's even more so. Every verse is carefully positioned. And God the Holy Spirit has determined uh, that verse 11, perhaps peculiarly, would come before verse 12. I think that might seem a little strange to us. As Jesus teaches us to pray, he puts verse 11 before verse 12. I think if we were asked the question, uh, what do you think comes first in prayer? Uh, Forgive us our sins or... Give us today our daily bread. I think if we were asked that question, we would say, well, I think forgiveness of sin comes before daily bread in our petition, in our list for prayer. And yet, that's not how Jesus structured this prayer. He asks us to to come to him for for daily bread before we 
come for forgiveness. And um, we could ask the question, why is that? And we can't be sure. Um, but here's a couple of thoughts. We're hearing a story about William Booth uh, of the Salvation Army, the founder of the Salvation Army. And he was uh, well known. He was well loved by all the, the tramps in London. He paid attention to them. He, he spent time with them. Uh, he cared for them in the most practical ways. He would feed those uh, them who were hungry. He would, he would seek to, to clothe and give shoes to those uh, who had none. And on one occasion, uh, William Booth was asked the question, why are you doing all this social care when you should just be preaching? And his response uh, was as follows. He says, you cannot warm the hearts of people with God's love if they have an empty stomach and cold feet. There's wisdom in that. Jesus knows that we are physical people. He knows that we are those who get hungry. He knows that we are those who need uh, bread to live. There are basic human needs that we thought about last time we were together. And so Jesus in verse 11 teaches us that it's okay to ask for these things when we come in prayer. Jesus knows that if we have empty stomachs and cold feet, if we have basic human needs that aren't being met, we're going to be distracted and we're going to struggle both spiritually and physically. So, so maybe that's why verse 11 comes before verse 12. Uh, we can sometimes be slow to come and ask for things. You know, are we struggling with something this evening? Something that seems very practical, very mundane. Something that we, we think in our minds that, well, you know, God isn't going to be interested in something as small as that. Well, the truth is he is interested in whatever it is, however small it is, uh, that is in our minds playing in our thoughts. We can come to him. Uh, we can ask him uh, for our daily bread. So I think we're given an encouragement here to pray for what we need. So there's a connection here between verse uh, 11 and verse 12. Um, that uh, Jesus knows that we need these things and so he encourages us to ask for, for these things. But I think there's another obvious connection between verse 11 and verse 12. And it's this. If we don't have daily bread, then physically we die. We need bread to be able to live. Without bread we die. Physically. And if we don't have forgiveness, verse 12, then spiritually we die. We need to have forgiveness if we are to have spiritual life. So I think there's a connection there. No bread, no life. No forgiveness, no life. And so Jesus teaches us to come asking for that forgiveness. Jesus says, when you pray, say, forgive us our debts. Now sin is a debt. That's what Jesus is teaching here. He's, he's telling us to, to ask for forgiveness for our sin. But, but sin is a debt. And the word that's used for debt there in the Greek, it could also be translated as an offence. Sin is an offence against God. Think about the A9. You're driving down the A9. Now there's these speed cameras that are average speed cameras, the, the whole length of the, the road. And sometimes when the road's clear and it's dry and there's no traffic, it can be easy to kind of forget and maybe drift a little over 60 mile an hour. Now what happens if you do that? Well, if you do that, you get a speeding ticket. And it will say you have broken the law. It will say you've committed an offence under whatever the, the, the legal code is. And it will say there's a fine to pay. And you and I are in debt to the state until we pay the fine. Now, when we sin against, when we sin, we sin against God. Sin is not some abstract thing that floats around and is disconnected from everything. When we sin, we sin against God. 
David says in Psalm 51 and verse 4, which we sang, against thee, thee only, have I sinned. Sin is an offense against God's law. Sin causes us to go into debt with God. So what is the debt? You know, what is the penalty? What wage, what debt, what fee do we owe to God because of our sin? That's the question, and the answer is found in in Romans 6.23. You know the verse well. The wages of sin is death. Now, we can open up a speeding ticket after being uh, on the A9, and we grimace when we see that there's a a fee to pay, but we we can pay it, the £60 usually. But when we read about the debt that we owe to God, surely we shudder because we see the seriousness of this. We see how much we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness as much. In fact, we need forgiveness more than our daily bread. So what does Jesus teach us to do in this prayer? He teaches us to ask for it. He teaches us to confess our sin. So that's our second point. There's the connection between the two verses. And secondly here, there's, there's the confession that Jesus teaches us to do. Uh, verse 12, still, we're, we're staying in that for the, for the whole service. Forgive us our debts. And these four words, uh, they amount to a prayer of confession. Jesus teaches us to confess our sin, not to hide it. Not, not to cover it up, not to, to make excuses to try to, to justify it. Uh, remember, David tried to do that. He tried to hide his sin. And he speaks of it in Psalm 32. And he says in, in Psalm 32 and verse 3, When I kept silent, when I didn't confess, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. See, when we don't confess our sin, that the weight of that sin, the debt, it presses down on us. It hangs over us. I mean, I'm no medical expert, but I, I wonder how many people suffer mentally because they feel the weight of their sin and don't know what to do with it. So they go to a psychologist who says to them, there's no such thing as sin. It's all in your head. And yet the weight is still there. And no matter how many times they hear that kind of thing, the weight is still there. That There is still that inner groaning. There's still that sense something is wrong. So what do they need to hear? What do we need to hear? We need to hear the words of Jesus telling us your sin is real. But if you confess it, it can be forgiven. And the burden, the weight of guilt can be taken away instantaneously. John Stott, in his book, he quotes an an expert psychiatrist who was in charge of a a psychiatric unit in, in London. And he said this, quoting him, he said, I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. It's his opinion. And Jesus teaches us to pray for forgiveness. And Jesus assures us uh, that, uh, that all those who confess their sin, they will be forgiven. Not they might, but they, we, will be forgiven. Again, you know the verse well from uh, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's good news. For anyone who walked in this evening, for anyone who watches at a distance and who feels that crushing weight of sin, how good is that news? Every sin, every debt, every offense cleared the second we ask. So have you and I asked for forgiveness yet? And if we haven't, what are we waiting for? You ask now. 
But if we think a little more about this, uh, we, we, we go back to the context in which Jesus was speaking. And Jesus, when he was teaching this, he wasn't standing speaking uh, primarily to a crowd of those who were unbelievers. He was speaking to believers. In fact, he was, he was speaking, he was teaching his disciples. And so we would maybe ask the question as we think about this, if he's speaking to his disciples, aren't they already forgiven? And the answer is yes, they are. With the exception of Judas, who was, who was a fake, the disciples were already forgiven. In the legal sense, uh, the, the disciples of Jesus uh, back then and still today, the, the moment we confess, the moment we believe, we are forgiven. The debt of sin that we owe is cleared. We are cleansed once and for all. Past, present, future sins, gone. Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And that's the, the, the biblical legal truth. If we have confessed our sin... If we are trusting Jesus, we are cleansed, we are clean. Remember in John 13, uh, Jesus, he is washing the feet of the disciples. And he says to the disciples, uh, you are clean, though not every one of you, as he referred to Judas. See, with the exception of Judas, they were forgiven, they were clean. So the question is, why do those who are already forgiven have to ask for forgiveness and confess our sin? And I think the answer to this takes us back to the, the first word of the prayer. And the first word of the Lord's prayer is Father, our Father. See, Jesus is teaching children how to have a close, healthy relationship with our Father. And although when we become disciples of Jesus, uh, we, we turn from the practice of sin, we still fall into sin. Uh, we still fail. We still struggle with sin. We are still uh, prone to wonder. We still sin. We still uh, grieve the, the Holy Spirit. And so we need to keep confessing our sin in order to, to, to keep the relationship with our, our Father clear and healthy. And so Jesus says, confess your sin. Disciples, confess your sin. When you fall, when you fail, when you grieve the Holy Spirit, confess it. And for confession to be, to be real, it needs to be specific. Let me give you a, a kind of hypothetical situation. I'm sure this never has or never will uh, happen, certainly not to any of us connected in the congregation. But just imagine, just imagine that there was a fight, a dispute between two siblings, two sisters, for example. Just imagine that happened in a house. You know, all was not peace, um, but there was a momentary lapse of peace. A dispute happens between two sisters over the hairbrush they want to use or at the time that they're in the shower or whatever it is. And something blows up. Uh, and there's a big rammy in the house. And in the aftermath of that, uh, as the parents try to sort out this dispute between the two sisters, uh, usually uh, the parent will say to one of the children, at least, your behaviour was out of order, say sorry. And usually uh, the way it would go in this hypothetical situation is uh, the sorry will be something like this, sorry. No eye contact with the person that you have a problem with. Uh, no sense of sincerity. No eye contact with you. Just sorry. And so the parent will follow up by saying, sorry for what? And in the next few minutes, there'll be an extraction of the specific confession. And as that confession uh, comes out, uh, then hopefully over the course of the next few minutes, peace is restored. The bad atmosphere, uh, the tension lifts. It's kind of like that in the spiritual sense here. Uh, when we sin as children of God, if we are Christians, uh, we don't stop being children of God. 
because of our sin. But as we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit and there is a problem between us and our Father. And Jesus seems distant and there's a tension. There's an awkwardness. There's a coldness of heart. There's a difficulty to pray. There's a reluctance to come to the word. There's a problem. There's a distance there. And so Jesus says, when you sin, don't let it linger on. Confess it. Ask for forgiveness. Confess your specific sins. And as we confess our specific sins, as we look to the cross, as we look to Jesus, as we turn away in repentance from sin, uh, we, we feel the forgiveness of God uh, washing over us as we trust in the word of God, the promises of God to us. And as we confess our sin, as we linger in prayer confessing our sin, intimacy is restored between the child and, and the father. Now, Psalm 51 is the, is the expanded version of these four words, forgive us our sins. Because in that psalm, David, he teaches us what it sounds like and what it looks like to, con to confess sin. And as David asks for forgiveness, it seems that he feels and he's able to write about the compassion and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God and the joy and the assurance of salvation is restored to him. You know, there's no assurance and there's, there, there's no joy. There's no confidence that we are forgiven when we're not confessing our sin. But it's as we confess our sin, as Jesus teaches us to, as we meet with God in prayer, that the gospel truth is felt in the inner person and the joy of salvation, the joy of being a child of God is restored. So Jesus teaches us to, to keep on confessing our sin, to keep on asking for forgiveness. The question is, how can this happen? Uh, God is a God of, of justice. God is holy. He won't uh, turn a blind eye to our sin. He won't pretend it didn't happen. So how is it possible for a just God to forgive guilty sinners? Where does our sin go? Who pays the debt that we owe to God? And these questions take us uh, to the cross, where we'll finish this evening. In two weeks' time, uh, God willing, we'll, we'll be at the Lord's table. And as we take the bread and as we take the wine, uh, we are brought back to the cross. God knew that we would need this reminder to keep coming back to the cross. And as we do what Jesus taught us to do, we remember the death of Jesus. And that's where we see how this forgiveness was made possible. If we go back to the speeding ticket, the debt remains until the, the price is paid. But once the price, once the fine is paid, the debt is gone. And Jesus went to the cross. He went to die. He went to pay the debt that our sin accrued. We, we read the verse already, the wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned. So he went for us. He went to pay the debt. The debt, the wages of sin was paid out against Jesus. And he paid it all. He, he settled the account. Uh, John in his gospel takes us to the cross in, in John 19. And he gives us the final words of Jesus. And says in verses 28 to 30, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, uh, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop 
and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It's one word in the Greek, finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And that word there is a word that we need to keep returning to. Uh, finished. Tetelestai. It was a word that was written on an account when it was paid in, in New Testament times. The, the, the account would be there with, with a whole lot of debt on it. Once it was cleared, once it was paid, one word was written across the account. Tetelestai. It's finished. And that's what Jesus cried out on the cross. Finished. And then in full control, he bowed his head, he gave up his spirit, and he laid down his life. You know, for all who do not confess their sin, uh, for all who do not look to Jesus for forgiveness, your death still hangs over you, and you'll take it to eternity. Hell is that place of eternal death, where the wages of sin for those who would not hand them over are forever paid out. But the offer of God in the gospel, the gift he holds out to us, is forgiveness. The wages of sin are death, Romans 6.23. That's the dark side, the second half of the verse. But the gift of God is eternal life. So have we received this gift of God yet? Are we forgiven? Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. So the crucial question as we finish is, have we received that forgiveness? Are we with God? On the final day, uh, when we stand before the throne of God above, uh, will we be confronted with a record of our sin that remains unpaid? Will we have a debt that will take eternity to pay? Or will that record have been held against Jesus and paid for uh, through his blood on that cross. Has Jesus, as we sang a few moments ago, has he made an end of all my sin? So we confess our sin, there is forgiveness. And that forgiveness uh, was worked out on the cross. There's one more point, but I'm not going to go there this evening. I'll just give you the point, the, the, the title of it. Uh, the final thing is change. And we can maybe uh, explore this in the, the prayer meeting in a week or two's time. Um, but the gist of this is, if we are forgiven, we will forgive. If we have received the grace of Jesus, then we will show out the grace of Jesus. That's not a condition of salvation, because we cannot do that in our own strength. But that's an effect of salvation. If we are forgiven, there will be change. Because as we look at those who have grieved us, there will be a readiness to forgive. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word and we thank you for this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. We thank you for the forgiveness that is offered in Christ. We thank you that as we confess our sin, uh, you are a God who is faithful and just to forgive our sin because uh, you look to Jesus as our saviour. You look at him and pardon me. So enable us, we pray, each of us to, to be those who are with God, to be those who have uh, sought that forgiveness and who know that we are saved in Christ. And enable us, Lord, we pray, if we are disciples of Jesus, to walk close with you, uh, not to allow the, the, the sin that sticks to our feet as we travel through this world to, to weigh us down. But we pray that day by day we would be confessing our sin and knowing that intimacy uh, that is offered to the disciples of Jesus. 
And we pray, Lord, uh, that you would help us uh, to be those who are changed by your forgiveness. We know that when we withhold forgiveness from others, we can become uh, so bitter from the inside out. And so we pray, Lord, uh, that just as we have been forgiven, uh, we would forgive. And we think about how we may have been hurt by others and then compare that to how often and how uh, grievously we have offended uh, you, Father. Uh, there is no comparison to help us, Lord, uh, to receive grace and to show grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.